Good morning, church. Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a joy it is to be together this morning to hear the word of God, um, to be served. One of the, the things I rejoice about, if, especially with regards to um, the, the, the progress of the church of Jesus Christ, is how God has given um, the church different men um, who are able to serve effectively uh, the local churches. And this morning we are privileged to have Jeff Gage with us. Um, he's been with us since yesterday. Um, we enjoyed our time with him um, as we were going through um, those uh, Bible digging principles. And um, I'm sure you were, you were benefited, some of you who were there. And, and this morning as well, when we did the Bible Hour, um, I'm sure we were all benefited as we went through through that and may may may, may God also um, help us to to continue to practice uh, to practice those principles not only in the book of Jonah but whenever we approach the the Bible that we will know to ask good questions and so on and so forth um, let me also take this time to to welcome our visitors um, I see new faces there uh, at the back next to to uh, Auntie Debbie uh, two new faces. Can you introduce yourselves? With Sepo Pabalo Cabello Pimelo. With Sepo and Pimelo. Welcome. Um, get to know them as well after church. Welcome to Lorato. It's been a while since we saw him. Get to know him as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a while since. Um, so um, I'm going to, to welcome Jeff to the pulpit um, to come and serve us with God's word. Well, good morning. Uh, wonderful to be with you uh, again. I always enjoy uh, coming up here. Always enjoy uh, fellowship with uh, Carabo and Kenzie, and and uh, wonderful to uh, meet Loazi uh, for the first time. Uh, uh, that's a, a, a joy uh, and a privilege, and uh, wonderful to be with you. I I, I don't know about you, but uh, yesterday afternoon, um, earlier this morning. Uh, just spending time in one book of the Bible and digging out what is there. Uh, and, and we left a good bit of work for you to still do in the book of Jonah, haven't we? Um, and uh, you'll continue doing that. But uh, it's, it's always an encouragement to me. It's always a challenge to me um, uh, interacting with the Word of God uh, in that way. So uh, it's been a real uh, joy for me uh, to be here as well. And as we come to God's Word this morning, I, I want us to come to Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, uh, and chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. As you turn there, I want us to consider this uh, entire chapter this morning uh, in the time that we have together. And I, I want you to think about something before I read the passage. I want you to think about this. What is it 
that causes God's heart to rejoice? What would it be that moves the heart of the Father himself to rejoice, to experience joy and delight? Do you think it would be your righteousness or your repentance? Does God rejoice over your righteousness or does he rejoice over your repentance? Let's read the chapter and see what our Lord Jesus has to say about it. Chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them? So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What rejoices the Father's heart? Your righteousness or your repentance? Do you see all the rejoicing, the joy, the gladness, the celebration in these parables Jesus tells? And all of that from what? From the character's own righteousness? Or from the repentance that restores the one that is lost to the Father? Jesus is here telling these parables to a group of Pharisees and scribes. Their attitude toward sinners, their attitude toward those who need to repent is clear in verses 1 and 2, isn't it? Here Jesus is teaching the tax collectors, nobody likes them, the sinners, sinners, a word used to speak of prostitutes and those kind of people, the bad people, they are all drawing near to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus to hear what Jesus is saying. They're coming to Jesus to hear this gospel of the grace of God that will forgive their sins. They're drawn to hear this message from Jesus. And the righteous people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the holy men... They are seeing this happening and they are grumbling to each other. What is going on here? 
What is Jesus doing here? He's receiving sinners. You do not receive sinners. You reject sinners. You condemn sinners. Sinners are cut off from God's people. Sinners will defile you. Can you imagine receiving someone who is a known thief in your community? Sitting down and eating with this person as they listen to you talk to them. What a terrible thing. The Pharisees are grumbling. They are disgusted. They can't believe this is happening. If Jesus truly were holy and righteous, he would stay far away from these people. He would keep sinners, the ungodly lawbreakers, far away from him. But Jesus is receiving them, and he's eating with them, and he is speaking to them. And it's because of that that Jesus tells these parables. What's happening here, you see, is that they are actually revealing their righteousness is nothing but a self-righteousness. Jesus reveals the Father's heart towards sinners. And the Pharisees reveal their self-righteous heart. Jesus values repentance. The Father in these parables rejoices over repentant ones, not self-righteous ones. My question, does God rejoice over your righteousness or over your repentance? You can see what we mean by your righteousness, a self-righteousness like these Pharisees? Is it you keeping yourself pure and spotless and prim and proper? Dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's just right. Is that what brings joy to the heart of God? For Jesus, in these parables, True righteousness includes compassion for the lost. True righteousness receives sinners. It doesn't reject sinners. When your pursuit of holiness begins keeping you away from reaching out to sinners, you're no longer pursuing holiness. You're pursuing self-righteousness. True righteousness, the Father's righteousness, Jesus' righteousness is a compassion. Receiving and rejoicing over repentance, receiving and rejoicing over the restoration of that which is lost. It's the heart Jesus shows here. It is not the heart of the Pharisees. What about your heart? 
Are you thinking that God in heaven looking down upon you should rejoice because of your cleanness of life? Or do you rather know that the rejoicing of God is over your repentance? It's over your turning away from self-righteousness. It's over having a heart like his to restore the lost. Well, Jesus tells these three parables to express that, to reveal the Father's heart of joy over repentance, which rebukes the self-righteous Pharisees, but it also does another thing. It also invites and open arms to sinners to come to the righteous one, Jesus himself. We're just going to look at this in two ways this morning. First of all, the, the first two parables really work together as he tells a parable about a lost sheep and then he just switches the image to a lost coin, making the same point in both. The rejoicing is over finding what was lost and restoring it. Sharing that joy with others. We read the parables. I won't read them again. But you know the story. The man has a hundred sheep. One of them wanders off. What does he do? What, what would any one of you do if that happened? Would you sit back and say, oh, well, I'm so happy I still have 99. I guess I lost the one. One to 99, it's not too bad. It's an acceptable loss. No, no, it's not an acceptable loss. You go after, he, the shepherd goes after that sheep that has wandered away. And when he finds it, he scoops it up and puts it on his shoulders so it won't wander anymore. And he is rejoicing. I found this one who has wandered away. And he is now being brought back and restored. And he calls the neighbors to come and rejoice with him. Let's celebrate. Probably not by having lamb on the braai. Probably that's not the celebration. <laughs> but do you see what happens? One is lost. And when he finds it and it is restored, there is an explosion of joyous delight. And Jesus says, that's just what it's like in heaven. When one sinner repents. When one sinner repents, in the halls of heaven, there is an explosion of joyous delight. There is a sharing of that joy among all of the inhabitants of heaven. There is rejoicing in restoration of the one that was lost. That restoration happens, Jesus says, when one sinner repents turns away from their sin and turns to Christ. 
That's the joy of heaven. Of all there is for heaven to rejoice over, this is the point Jesus makes. Or it's like a woman. She has ten coins. She loses one. Acceptable loss? No. She sweeps and lights lamps and searches diligently. She does everything she can to find the one lost coin and restore it. And when she does that, she again calls the neighbors to rejoice. And again, Jesus says, before the angels of God, there is this explosion of joyous delight over one sinner who repents. But have another look at verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You think the Pharisees understood he was talking about them? They didn't need to repent. It's these tax collectors. It's these sinners. It's these bad people. We're the righteous people. My righteousness causes God to rejoice. Surely, surely God is, is thrilled to no end when I reject these sinners so that I can remain pure and undefiled. No, righteous persons who need no repentance, that's exactly how the Pharisees saw themselves. We are righteous people, we need no repentance. We need no repentance. Now it's interesting, Jesus doesn't make further comment about that, does he? He doesn't say, there's actually no such thing as a righteous person who doesn't need to repent. He's just simply telling this parable so it will impact these Pharisees and they will see, oh, that's what we're like and God doesn't rejoice over that. Our self-righteousness is not pleasing to God at all. Why not? Because self-righteousness does not have compassion for the lost. God is righteous and he rejoices over sinners who repent. They believe they are righteous and they have nothing but condemnation for sinners. They might be living lawfully according to the law of Moses, but they are living without the heart of God and his purpose in this world. Why is there so much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents? I think there's three reasons for that we see here that can help us have this heart of God for the lost as well. First of all, is that uh, it's, it's seeing sinners as the lost. There's a lot of ways we can describe sinners, right? 
We could describe sinners emphasizing their willfulness. They are rebels against God. They, are, uh, they betray uh, the love and the grace of God. They uh, are defiant against God. They love the darkness and hate the light. And we can emphasize all of that. But here Jesus emphasizes something else. He refers to them as lost. How do you feel about that lost sheep? How do you feel about that lost coin? Isn't there some kind of sympathy that comes? Like when Jesus was hanging on the cross and all these rebellious, defiant, wicked people, Jews and Romans, and Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they know not what they do. Hey, some of them knew exactly what they were doing. It was because the whole world was turning to Jesus. It was because they knew that Jesus was the Christ. It's because they knew that he was the true king and the Sadducees and Pharisees were going to lose their power hold upon the temple and its uh, income and so forth. They knew. And that's why they had him crucified. But there's another aspect to that. that and the depths of their hearts while they are rebelling against God they also do not truly understand their condition before God they are lost and that which is lost cannot find itself does that make sense Sometimes my wife will ask me if we've been driving around for a while, are you lost? And I'm never lost. I know exactly where I am. I just don't know where that is. <laughs> so in my stubbornness, I will keep driving around and I'm gonna figure this out and it's a guy thing, right? And I just keep going on and so forth. So now there's irritation because I am defiant in my lostness. But there's still the reality that I'm lost. <laughs> I need to be found. I either need the GPS to find me <laughs> and show me where to go or stop and ask someone. There is a lostness. You see, we are likely to lose compassion for the lost if we don't see them as lost. And they need to be found. And the heart of God is for them to be found. And God will rejoice when he finds them. Our oldest son, Caleb, when he was a smaller boy, we were all at uh, uh, this big store, and he got lost. And where, you know, the panic feeling that grips your chest 
in those moments and you're hunting and looking around and going up to the desk and they call his name on the speaker and there's nothing and you I went out into the parking lot and I'm looking and looking around fearing the worst of what has happened to him and then there he is standing right next to the car I ran over to him I scooped him up I said Caleb are you okay what are you doing out here he said, well, I, I didn't know where you were, so I just came back to the car. I figured you'd come back to the car. <laughs> I said, oh, good, good thinking. <laughs> wow, from panic, fear, to rejoicing. He was lost for four minutes, and now he's found. The joy and rejoicing of finding the lost seeing the lost as lost second is the value of the lost the value of the lost what was the value of that sheep to that shepherd what was the value of that coin to that woman and how much more are people valuable they are made in the image of god with never dying souls of how much greater value are those who are lost from the Father, from their Creator, and they need to be found and brought back. How are they lost? Why are they lost? Because they're doing all these wicked, terrible things I don't even want to talk about. Yeah, but they're lost. You think it's, you think it's less joy? If you find the lost diamond ring in a pile of gunk down in the sewer, then if you find it just lying underneath the shelf, the filthier the loss, there's a sense in which the more rejoicing there is that you found it. Seeing sinners as lost, valuing the lost, and third, loving restoration loving restoration God's plan through all the ages is to restore from creating the heavens and the earth at the beginning of the Bible to creating a new heavens and a new earth at the end of the Bible his whole eternal plan is about restoration we love restoration love to see that happen and don't forget how it happened with you. Don't forget that. You were one of these sinners, weren't you? You were one of these people out there, lost. And somehow, by God's grace, you were found. Loving restoration, causing diligent search, diligent proclaiming of the gospel, and rebuking our self-righteousness. How about you? Do you see the lost as lost? Or you just see them as irritations and drains on society? Do you only see the lost in terms of how they affect you negatively? Or do you see them as lost and you would love to see them restored? Or is your own self-righteousness killing the joy. I don't 
don't want to get too close to that person. People might think badly of me. They might rub off on me. Instead, giving of ourselves to see the lost restored. And then Jesus takes all of this and he puts it together into one more parable. One final parable. And it's a much longer story that he develops and tells. He's emphasizing this same thing. God's righteous heart includes compassion for the lost and he rejoices over repentance, not over self-righteousness. Look at how he develops it. He moves on from sheep and coins, which are valuable, to two sons. How valuable are your sons? How valuable are your children? Let's see how he develops this with father and sons. He establishes in verses 11 to 16 that the younger son is a sinner. He's one of these group tax collectors and sinners that the Pharisees despise. He, he shows that by the fact that the son takes his inheritance early from the father and he goes out and he wastes it all different ways that is expressed in different translations, rebellious, riotous, reckless type of living, wicked living. He's often referred to as the prodigal son. According to the law, this son had committed sins which would require his death by stoning. He has been rebellious and riotous against his father. He has uh, ruined and lost all of his inheritance, which was not just for his own indulgence, but was for the future of his family and grandchildren and furthering the inheritance. Death by stoning is what he had deserved and then he is out there, having lost everything, eating with the pigs. Natural consequences have come. It's how bad things have gotten. But now what? Eating with the pigs means he would have been ceremonially unclean. He would be cut off from the temple, cut off from the worship of God, not accepted in the society. Here is one in reference to God. He is cut off and not accepted in God's presence in the temple. And in terms of his life and family, he is deserving of death. That's the situation of this son. But, verse 17, he comes to himself. He has a moment of self-awareness. He, he recognizes, he realizes, hey... What is going on here? He thought the greener grass was out there away from home, and now he realizes the grass is actually greener than the pig slop back at his father's house. And what now? He is going to go. 
He's hungry. He's humiliated. He's filthy. He's in poverty. I can imagine the Pharisees at this point in the story thinking, well, he's getting just what he deserved. His desire now is to go back home, to go back to his father, and look at what he is going to do, verse 18 and 19. I have sinned. I am no longer worthy. Treat me as a servant. One sinner who repents. Is that not a beautiful description of repentance? Confession of my sin. Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven, against God, and I have sinned against you. Confessing his sin in humility. I am not worthy. Casting himself upon mercy and upon grace from the Father. No entitlement. No, you ought to forgive me. A true humility that submits himself to the Father's will. Make me one of your servants. That's repentance. A genuine turnaround in his action, in his attitudes. And he goes to his father in verse 20. But how will his father respond? How will his father respond? Will the father receive him? Or will the father take him out to the elders of the community and stone him to death for his sin? For his wickedness? Will the father receive him? Or will the father condemn him? His only hope is the father's mercy. It's his only hope. What happens? Verse 20, what does the father do? While he's still a long way off, still on his way to the father, the father sees him. And look what the father does. The father has compassion on him and runs to meet him and embraces him and kisses him and celebrates Rejoicing. The one who was lost is now found. The one who was lost is now restored through repentance. And it causes the father to rejoice, to embrace. To embrace him with all the smell of hogs on him. To embrace him in those rags that were falling off of him. To kiss him on the cheek that had been slopped with pig slop. The father doesn't say, uh, yeah, okay, we can talk about it. You can come back, but um, servants take him out in the shed out there and get him cleaned up and... No, no, the father just embraces him 
the sinner has come home. He was dead to me. He was dead for all I knew. He was dead, but look, he is alive. He was lost, now he's found. The Father's heart of compassion, of love, valuing the sinner, loving the lost, loving the restoration, rejoicing, and then lavishing grace upon him. Get the best robe and put it on him. Cover up those rags with my best robe. Put a ring on his hand, probably with the symbol of the family crest as it were shoes on his feet and let's celebrate let's celebrate this is joyous he has come back verse 24 my son was dead as alive he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate because God's heart is rejoicing over repentance, rejoicing over restoration of that which is lost. And that should be the end of the story. But it's not, is it? It's not the end of the story. There's the older brother. What's he about? Why does he come into this story? What's he do? The older brother hears all this going on. He comes in from the field where he's been working, and he says, what's happening? The servant tells him, your brother has returned. We're celebrating. And the brother is angry. What? That sinner brother of mine has been restored? That is infuriating. How can he just be restored like that? How can the father just receive him back like that? Do you know what he's done? He's wasted all the property that was given to him. And he's wasted it all on prostitutes. This is not right. For the father to rejoice and celebrate over this wicked son of his brother of mine who has come back. It's just exactly the opposite of the father, isn't it? Just exactly the opposite. What's he so upset about? Why is he so angry about this lavishing of grace upon the son who has returned? Well, have a look, especially at verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father comes out and entreats him. His father is pleading with him, come on in with me and your brother. And he's angry and he refuses to go in. Now who's the prodigal? Now who's the prodigal? Why? Why won't he go in? Why is he so angry? Verse 29. I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Hmm, I wonder. Yet you never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Ah, you see what's happening? The older son thought that his righteousness deserved the father's blessing. 
It's exactly the opposite of the son who returns. The son who returns says, I'm not worthy, make me your servant. The older son says, I have served you, therefore I am worthy. Beloved, God does not rejoice over your righteousness. He rejoices over your repentance. He rejoices over your humble submission and service to him out of a heart of repentance. The older son needed to repent of his sin. This, the younger son, the older son here needs to repent of his righteousness. Because this righteousness of this older son is a filthier rag than what the younger son was wearing in the pig pen. He may have been living lawfully, but he was living without the father's heart. And therefore, it is not righteousness. It is self-righteousness. Why does Jesus add that to the story? Well, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to older brothers. He's talking to those who were living lawfully, but without the Father's heart. And that did not rejoice the Father's heart. It did not rejoice Jesus' heart. The Father rejoices over the repentant. The Father rejoices over restoration. The Father's true righteousness is a heart of compassion for sinners that rejoices over their restoration. It's as if Jesus is telling these parables to rebuke those Pharisees and to rebuke us. When we have these same feelings, I'm living lawfully, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, but I don't have the God's heart for the lost. It rebukes us for that. But it also swings the door open of invitation for sinners. What have you done in your life? What have you done? Have you rebelled against your parents and disobeyed them? Been disrespectful? Have you lived for self-gratification? Have you been a drunk? Have you been using pornography? Have you been hiring prostitutes? Have you been a prostitute? You see, beloved, it doesn't matter. What have you done? You have been lost, but you can be found. And the Father's arms are wide open to receive you, to embrace you, to kiss you, to put his robe of righteousness upon you, true righteousness. Not your own cleaning up of your life. And in this, Jesus himself preaches the very gospel he came to enact, doesn't he? What did he come to do? He came to call sinners. He came to die for sinners, to pay for their sins, to find the lost, to seek and to save. 
and to restore to God so that there will be rejoicing in heaven and the robe of his true righteousness placed upon you. That God may look at you in the righteousness of Christ and rejoice over you. And you might go forth with his very heart and rejoice in talking to sinners. Rejoice in ministering to the lost. Rejoice in drawing others to Christ. And rejoicing when sinners repent. I was in a church for a period of time and the story would go like this. Someone was sharing the gospel with a colleague at work and this colleague uh, came, would come to church a couple times and this colleague trusted Christ. Trusted Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And the church's response was something like this. Hmm. Well, they've said that they believe in Jesus and they've trusted Jesus. Let's see if this is real or not. And then we'll kill the fattened calf? And then we'll celebrate? Scrutiny, scrutiny, scrutiny. Beloved, the Father's heart. The sinner repents. Rejoice. It's celebration. It's joyous. Will some fall away and turn out to not have been for real? Yeah. Sometimes that happens. But let's never lose the simplicity and the joy the trusting of our father as well in restoring joy God's heart is full of joy over your repentance over you having his heart for the lost. That's true righteousness. The righteousness of your father. Don't forget the day there was rejoicing over you in heaven. Continue to be that source. Be used to bring even more joy to heaven. An explosion of joyous delight among the people of God in heaven and on earth. Father, we pray that you'd fill our hearts with your delight. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.